Happy New Year. It's good to see you on the first Sunday of the new year. If you have Bibles with you this morning, I'd like for you to turn in those Bibles to Isaiah chapter 38. We want to be involved in the story of King Hezekiah this morning so that we can learn something that we probably need as a reminder over and over again and something that's going to be good for us as we go into the new year to think about because King Hezekiah has a tremendous experience here and he shares it with us so that we can learn from it ourselves and have something that's very important in our lives. Um, beginning with verse 1, I want to read just a few verses, the first eight verses for you in verse 16, and then we can pick up on those verses and look at the others very briefly as we go along. But in those days, it says, Hezekiah became ill, and he was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord said, put your house in order because you're going to die and you're not going to recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, the prophet, and he said, go and tell Hezekiah this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I have heard your prayer, and I have seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. How would you like to know when you're going to die? Interesting situation here on God's part. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city Jerusalem. This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back 10 steps as it has gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So the sunlight went back the 10 steps and it had gone down. I had a friend who went through a pretty tough year and he was discouraged in many ways as he went through this year and he was facing many situations that most of us would not want to face at all. And when we got to the new year, I thought maybe I'd send him a note of cheer and maybe I'd send him something that would kind of help him as he moved into a new year and a new beginning. So I stopped at a Walgreens and went and looked at these cards that were there and I found one that said, may you have nothing but laughter and sunshine in the new year. And I thought, oh, does he need that? It's perfect. And I bought the card and I walked out and got back in my car and went on to my next assignment. But when you get an, a, a saying like that, you think about it a little bit. You don't just dismiss it easily. And as I'm driving along, I'm thinking, may you have nothing but laughter and sunshine in the new year. And I kept going over those words and over those words, and I began to wonder, is that really want what I want to wish him in the new year? By the end of the afternoon, I thought, no, that's not what I want to say to him. I couldn't say it to my friend because I wouldn't want to say it to myself because it takes more than sunshine and laughter to make 
our lives strong and useful. It takes more than sunshine and laughter for us to live out a life that is meaningful and purposeful. We all love to have it sunny all the time, but the truth of the matter is those clouds when they come in and those storms when they come in and that rainfall must play their part in all of our lives as we're developing. Joe Bailey, a noted author and a great speaker and a good teacher in the classroom, was speaking on his 60th birthday in Mexico to the Christian Medical Society. And while he was working in the afternoon on his message for that night, he had a heart attack. And as heaven would have it, he's got a, a heart specialist as a roommate who happened to also be in a room reading a book just at that time and knew all the things that he needed to know to help him in his situation and even called the hospital after calling an ambulance and said, I'm sending them over and this is what's going on and this is what has happened so far so they could know everything that was going on in his life and it probably saved his life. While in the hospital and he had to stay about three days, he began to think and he began to pray about his life and where he was at that point and what was going on and he wrote down some thoughts about life and he was an excellent writer, he's written many books. But by the time he got to the second day, he had it sorted out to write down what is really important about life, what is really important in my life, what, what am I doing that's important, and what am I not doing that's not important. When he got home, he had his secretary type out those notes and uh, put them down on paper in a good way so that he could send them out to his kids and a few other distant family members. And he said, this is what I had going on when I was in the hospital and here's some of my thoughts and they might be helpful to you and I thought I would just share them with you as, as you go into a new year as well. And as they were writing those experiences down in the hospital and he was sharing them with people who came along, he said it, it, was, it was good for him to do that and he needed to do that. And when he was asked about it a year later, he said it also turned out to be very good for my family because it was a life-changing experience for all of us and my kids set down some priorities for their lives that they never had before. When visiting with someone in the hospital over a couple week period, not too long ago, a member of our church, a hospitalization that went from being serious to more serious to near death to a variety of things that were very frightening. And then finally coming around and coming out of that and getting the kind of help he needed and the direction he needed and the surgery he needed and the life-saving techniques that he needed, he was ready to go home and I happened to be there in the morning when he was getting ready to go home. And just before we parted, he said, you know, Pastor, I gotta tell you something, suffering has its compensations. What did he mean? He meant that the bodily pain he'd been through and the uncertainty, even when it came to life and death that he had gone through, had left some spiritual deposits of unmeasured wealth upon his life. Now, this is the same truth that we're learning here in, in Isaiah 38 with King Hezekiah. He expresses that when he gets to verse 9 and on, and he begins to share a prayer with us, a prayer of victory, how God took him through this whole experience. And then when he gets to verse 16, he tells us, 
Lord, by such things men live, and my spirit finds life in them too. What does he mean? He's basically saying, I've had some great experiences in life, and especially for someone my age, I have had a tremendous life, but recently I've had some great struggles in my life because I've faced illness, I've faced death itself, and I have faced the end to all of my dreams. And contrary to what almost everyone would think, you can mark this, it is by going through such things that men and women live. Now, when you hear that, you've got to dig into it. Because this is something we're not used to hearing in our day and age. This is something that very seldom is talked about. And we have to see what's going on in Hezekiah's life. Now, at 39, nobody wants to die. At 49, nobody wants to die. At 79, no, no one wants to die. And when I minister to these min seniors that are around me, I'm finding out they don't want to die at 89. They don't want to die at 99. They just want to keep on living forever. But Hezekiah is 39 years of age here, and he has everything to live for. He's the king at a young age. He has ability. He has talents that were unending. He has, he has a ability that just shines everywhere he goes to just meeting people, talking with people, and sharing with people. And while he's been the king, he has also worked with the temple of God, and he has repaired that temple, put it back into the shape it should be, and he's, worshiped, his, he's worked on worship, and he's purified the worship. He's taken away all of the images and all of the idols, and he has put an emphasis on a religious and moral uh, country that needs to honor Almighty God. And the spiritual condition of the people was changing. There was a reformation. Now, while all this is going on, God is at work in another area. God is leading this king to do what needed to be done on the religious scene and the moral scene, but he's also using him to have an influence on some of the other nations around him and some of the other peoples around him. God is going to bring prestige to this man Hezekiah is going to have the respect of others, not only his own people, because that would be important to him later on, but it would also be important to God, and it would be important to God's people. That's why sometimes we don't understand what God is doing, because he's always working behind the scenes, and he's usually working on more than one thing at a time. If you and I have a need, and we pray to him, and we ask him to work in our lives, and we ask him to protect us, and we ask him to minister to us in his special way, he does that, but while he's doing that, he might also be in process working with the people around us. He might also be working with everyone involved in our lives so that they will see, first of all, in how he works with us so they can see who he really is and what he can do and how, they, how important he is in our life. Oswald Chambers once put it this way. He said, faith doesn't always know where it's being led but it knows and it loves the one who is leading. Now back to the story. Picture this happening. Jerusalem is being threatened at this time. They're, they're expecting invasion at any moment because Sennacherib and the forces of Assyria have plans to come in and attack God's people, and they have power. They're a very strong nation. They can be very destructive. 
Now, Hezekiah's people were living in constant fear because they had soldiers and, and armies on all around them at that time. And there they are right in the midst of all of that struggle. And right at that time, their king now is stricken with an illness and it looked like he would die. Verse 1 told us how serious it was. Hezekiah was going to die is what verse 1 tells us. Imagine Hezekiah at this time. His heart is broken. He doesn't have a full picture of life after death. He was wondering about the Messiah, as he says in verse 11. He's wondering about where he is before Almighty God. He's young. He has position. He has honor. And when he puts all of this together, he can't understand it. So he begins to ask why. And he begins to weep. And he begins to cry out to God. And he prays and he prays and he asks God to save his life. Then you get to verse 4, and you hear that God answers his prayer and granted his request. God, through a prophet, took the message to him that he would live 15 more years, and he would have victory over Assyria. And then God did something he has very seldom done. He gave him a sign. He went through another prophet to give him the sign that would prove that all of this was going to happen. In verses 7 and 8, we have the story. God said to him, look out your window, king, and you're going to see you've got a stairway there, and you know you can tell the time of day by that stairway and where the shadow is cast on the stairway. He says, watch that shadow. It's going to go back 10 steps rather than forward as it should. And it did. So he knew God would spare his life. He knew that God would give him 15 more years. He knew that God was going to give him victory over Assyria. And when the experience was all over, Hezekiah begins to write out a prayer in verse 9. And sometimes this is good to do for future reference if, if you want to remember what God has done in your life. And he writes it out in the form of a prayer. And as he writes, he shares how tough the whole experience was. But he also shares a prayer of victory and he says, basically, I have experienced pain. I have seen uncertainty. I have faced the possibility of death. I have wondered about my eternity. And I need to tell you something that maybe you'll never hear anywhere else. That's not all bad. Because those are the very things by which men live. He goes on, in a sense, to say, I used to think that when you got into affliction of some sort or when the obstacles came up in life or when there was uncertainty in life or when there was pain in life or when I went through a period of time when I didn't know what was going on and I had to wait on God or when there were interruptions in my life when I had plans and when there was sorrow in my life and there were all these kinds of things that come into a normal life, he said, I used to think all those things were only defeating. And I used to think adversity just took all meaning out of life. But now I'm beginning to see something different. I'm beginning to see that they are the things which teach me what life really is. And these are the things by which men and women really live. What's he saying? He's saying something very, very important. He says, I prefer when things go smoothly. And when things go right, and when my day is good, I praise God. But I praise God now also through the tough times. Because God is in everything. He's in all of those good days we go through, but he's also in the tough times. And the tough days 
And when we experience times of adversity, and when we go through times that demand the best of us, we are really introduced to those experiences to who God really is. Because when we have those kinds of experiences, we cry out to God and we get very close to God and we need him and we need all of his resources and our relationship with him deepens. In fact, it is, gets to the point where it should be all the time we ought to have that deep relationship as we go through our daily walk with God because then we are introduced not only to the deeper things of life which are important to us, but we begin to see the difference between temporal life and everlasting life, and we begin to learn what really matters when it comes to life. Now, I'm not speaking to just the few this morning who think everything that goes wrong goes wrong in their life. They're the exception. Everything is worse for them than for others. I'm not talking mainly to that person who thinks they're the only ones who are going through with something. I'm talking to all of you this morning because life is a conflict, and life is a conflict for every one of us. Every one of us face adversity. Every one of us face some very difficult times and some very trying times in one form or another. That person that you, if you think you're the only one with problems, that person sitting next to you or in your eye view who you think just has it all made probably could be carrying a very heavy burden this morning and might even be having a broken heart because the suffering of men and women is universal. universal. All of us experience pain. All of us experience sickness. All of us have times of weakness. All of us have times when we feel defeated. All of us feel that time of loss, and these are tough to take. But Hezekiah is saying, these experiences also give us the real meaning of life. Don't miss the point that at 39, this king was strong, he was hopeful, he was forceful, he had felt no negative feelings probably in the course of his life, it all came easy, and he was thinking only about the future, and his future was bright. It never dawned on him that he was weak. It never dawned on him that he might be brought low. It never dawned on him that he might be empty of answers at some point, but he now knew all of these things by experience, and he was finding out that life is not made up of palaces and servants and victorious armies and silver and gold and the best of clothes and the best of gadgets and the best chariots. Life is not set up for us to get everything we want. Life doesn't often turn out the way we think it might. No, he said, it's not like that all the time. And he was starting to get a different idea about life, and he was beginning to see life as it really is, and he's beginning to understand there are no guarantees on life and no guarantees on tomorrow, that today is a gift. Every day that we have is a gift, and we are to live it well and we are to live it right because there, there's, there's no no understanding of what might happen in the days ahead. 
and it was a fearful experience for him. But it brought him very close to God, and it opened him up to what is important. And you know what happened to him? He started thinking less and less about his possessions. He started thinking less and less about his position. He began thinking about things like love and faith and repentance and forgiveness in life that is meaningful. He was beginning to realize there is a, there is a danger in, 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 in identifying life with things, with those items we all think we need to get, with those items we think we need to have, with those places we think we need to go, with those additional responsibilities we need to take on and get all involved in that so that we forget that that is not life at all. You see, if we're not careful, we can lose sight of our true being. And when all of life does come down at a time or from time to time and there's a crash, then he says we're taught what life is really all about and we're taught how to really live and we're taught what really counts and most of you in this room have probably lived long enough to realize how true that is on the subject of life. And if you have ever gone through a period of sickness or a terrible loss of some sort or a painful experience or a feeling of inadequacy, if you've ever felt overwhelmed with responsibility, if you've ever had a sense of sin or guilt hanging over you, if you've ever seen and dealt with the possibility of hell, if you've ever seen that you are not as strong as you thought you were and you begin to realize you need a savior or you need the love of God, don't you come back from that kind of experience with a different idea about life? And isn't it true that some of the things we think we need and that we demand out of life and some of the clothes we think we have to have and some of the arguments we seem to think we have to win even within our family situations and some of the promotions or recognitions that we feel we deserve and many, many, many other things now all of a sudden don't seem that important. But God does and faith does and a meaningful life does and love and friendships do and the ability to relate to Almighty God and experience his love so your life is filled with hope, that matters. And those are the things that are really important. You see, whether we admit it or not, it's often through the disciplines of life, through the struggles, through the setbacks, through the adversities, through the illness or whatever, that we discover what life is really all about in what really is important. Because it's here where we learn things like perseverance and what true character is and what patience is, what hope is. And there is where we get our wisdom. It's interesting that <clears throat> 49 years ago today, I was in a church in Chicago, Illinois, and I was playing volleyball, staying out of trouble. It was, it was just after New Year's. But I was playing volleyball, and I was up against, by the net, a fellow on the other side who was 6'5". And foolishly, I went up to spike the ball, 
And his arm came over the net back at me, and he hit me right in the nose and knocked me to the floor. I couldn't move. I tried to get up, and I couldn't get up. And about an hour later, I was rolled into a hospital in Chicago with a broken hip in an ambulance. When I got there, as heaven would have it, I was met at the door with an orthopedic doctor who was going out and was done for the day. And they called him and they said, you better wait, you better see what's going on here. And he waited and he ordered the x-rays and looked at them. And he came and he told me that I had shattered my joint completely and that I had a cyst above the joint and, and a large cyst and that they couldn't repair the hip in a way they would normally repair it. He would have to cut out bone from another part of my body and he would have to rebuild the hip. He also told me, you may never walk again. And he also told me, that I would probably be in a body cast, which I ended up being in, from the chest down to the toes for six months. And um, here I am, just finished with seminary, and I was anticipating being in my first church, and they had already called me, and they were expecting me within a week. And I had anticipated all that was ahead of me and all that my education would help me to achieve in the days ahead. And now it seemed like maybe all of that was gone. I was married only for a year and had a daughter that was almost a year old and she was home and she was sick and I had to, I was to pick up the prescription for her. And so here's the car with me and not even with my wife and we had only one. And, and here I am in this hospital in a very unknown situation. Make a long story short, after three months, they decided to put a new cast on me because I had lost quite a bit of weight and they wanted it a little bit tighter. And so they put, took the old one off, put the new one on, and after they put the new one on, I went home and discovered I could get my pants on and I could get my suit on, I could do anything because now it all fit over this cast. So I talked to my wife and said, guess what, honey, we're going to Indiana. I'm going to pastor that church. Now, what does a church do in a situation like that? Well, I'll tell you, we went. They said, come on, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And they knew I had the possibility of not walking again. But we uh, went to that church, and I'll tell you what a church does. The deacons decided, because we had a stairway like the stairway here and we didn't have an elevator, they would carry me in and carry me out. You should have heard the neighbors when they heard those deacons, those board members were carrying their pastor around. <clears throat> but we didn't last with that situation very long because on the second week they dropped me. And, and I don't know if it had anything to do with the first two messages, but, <laughs> but they dropped me at that point and, and I, was in, I, I, went down the, I went down the steps actually bouncing along to the bottom. So I said, enough of this, the board is out. <laughs> and I let the youth group take over, and the guys in the youth group, they, for three months, carried me in, and they carried me out. And God, in his way, step by step, began to put the pieces of my life back together, 
And three months later, after I got out of that cast, and the doc said, now you gotta be very careful, and we're not, because if, if it all falls apart, you have to have a sitting position or a standing position, I can't give you both. And from that day on, I have walked, and God's been with me. But I'll tell you, when you're in that position and you're laying in a hospital and your world is, is all turned around and you have no idea what you're gonna be able to do, you have no idea what you're gonna be able to do to support your family, you have no idea if you're gonna get up and walk again, you have no idea if you're gonna be in a wheelchair for life and you're only 24 years of age, that's something, believe me, to go through. That's where you do learn perseverance. That's where the scriptures are very, very clear. You develop character. That's where you learn how to be patient. That's where you learn what hope is all about. That is where you begin to grow in wisdom as you go through those experiences with an almighty God who's gonna pour into your life if you let him everything he wants to give you to make your life what it ought to be. But let's go back to our story. The king's life is spared. He's grateful, verses 17 and 20. He says he was determined to sing praises to God and to remember the Lord and to be faithful in worship. And notice what he says, if you forgot your Bibles, he says he promises to do that all the days of his life. It's a great story. We need to hear this story once in a while. Well, the king gets up, God protects him in battle. God brings plague and pestilence and helps his army because it's weak compared to the Assyrians. But he does win and he wins victoriously and the king of Assyria is impressed and the king on the other side, the neighbor over in Babylon, he's impressed. In fact, he's so impressed he wants to be with him now. So he sends emissaries over with gifts and he sends those emissaries there and he says, ask him what his secret is. Where does he get his strength? How does he do what he does? And they went over and they asked. And what an opportunity he had. He could impress them greatly if he would have just told them how much God loved him and how much God rescued him and how God answers prayer and how God has now given him some new values and God has given him some new standards and God has made up for his weaknesses as long as he has committed his life to God. He could tell him, tell him something about how much God loved him, but what does he do? He receives the emissaries in eagerness, and you see this in chapter 39, and he did everything he could to impress them. He showed them his possessions. He showed them his gold. He showed them his palace. He showed them all of his treasures. He got out all of his trophies, and he certainly impressed them, but he gave them nothing of importance. What creatures we are, what promises and what vows we make when we need all there is of God, what good things we do and say when we're faced with adversity, what values we determine we're going to have so that we can get through the tough times. What love we're gonna share with others when we finally get to the point where we're able to do that. But how difficult it is 
to keep the lessons learned as we go through the tough times of life. So the question this morning is this. Does God keep speaking to you in vain? If so, maybe this is the time as you begin this new year to say, no, this year is going to be different. I'm going to really listen to the Lord. I'm going to ask him to really guide me according to his way and not my way. Because then you know you can move gradually in small steps to become the person God has always meant for you to be. And as Jesus said, then you'll begin to understand what it is to have a life that is full and a life that is at peace. But it only comes when we remember in those times when we really needed God what we learned and what we determined to do and what is really important for us to do as we go through life. May you be blessed as you move in a new direction through 2011, which probably promises to be a very challenging year. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we, we when we stand before you, are so weak. When we stand before you, we forget so often what you've taught us and what we have learned. And when we come to you over and over again and you're trying to work with us and develop us, you want to draw very close to us. You want to love us deeply. You do want to change us, but you do accept us as we are as we're changing. And you work in such a patient, wonderful way with us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your perseverance. We thank you for the strength you give us. But God, continue to work in our lives so that we enjoy but also follow after all that you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name.